while you're turning there, let me read you something that I read this morning from Alan Taylor, who is the um, one of the executives at Lifeway. He's in charge of Sunday school for the Southern Baptist Convention. And he shared this this morning from a devotional that he had. And I want to share it with you because it sure is good. He said this, There is a structure in Medina, Saudi Arabia, called the Green Dome, where the revered and worshipped prophet Muhammad was laid to rest. His remains are buried under this awe-inspiring dome. It is a stopping place for millions of Islamic worshippers on their way to Mecca. Now head east to a small northeastern city in India, Kushinagar. There you can find the tomb of the Buddha, the founder of a, of a, of a religious system followed by 488 million people around the world. His ashes and relics remain there. Confucius is buried in Kufa, China, and L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, had his body cremated and scattered in the Pacific Ocean. But there is one, and only one, empty tomb. And today is the day we celebrate this earthquaking reality. He's not there. Amen. Today is a day of good news. If you, in the evenings, if you uh, do as I do in the evenings, I sit sometimes and I watch an evening newscast. And for 30 minutes, uh, someone sits and reads the news of the day and, and, and tells it and explains it. And for about the first 27 minutes, they talk about fires, they talk about floods, they talk about tornadoes, they talk about hurricanes, they talk about wars, they talk about killings, they talk about... All of these horrible things that go on throughout the world. And then for the last three minutes, they go to break and they, they come back with a real good feel-good story. Someone who has overcome great adversity to accomplish something. A child or, or someone uh, in our community or in the surrounding community where they are who has, up against all odds, done something amazing. And so... They leave you in those last three minutes feeling good about yourself and feeling good about the world and thinking and hoping that maybe, in spite of all the bad news, you might tune in again tomorrow. And so that's the way of the world. But I want to tell you that today is a day of complete good news. The day that we celebrate today, the day of Christ's resurrection, because without this resurrection, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there would be absolutely no good news to share in the world whatsoever. When we use the term that we're sharing the gospel, the gospel actually means good news. The good news of the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We come to a point here this morning in Luke chapter 24, um, we'll read in just a moment. But to set the stage for those scriptures, there's been some events that have happened. Jesus had met with his disciples in a place called the Upper Room to share the Passover meal with them. And after they, they, as they, before they break bread and before they uh, share together, Jesus makes some promises to these men. The first promise he makes that we can find in John chapter 14 is this. Jesus said... I am going away. I'm about to leave you. But guess what? I'm not leaving you without a purpose. 
Everything that Jesus ever did was an intentional, purposeful event. And his leaving, he says, I want you to know and understand that I'm leaving, but I am going to prepare a place for you, a place called heaven. And you have a home there. You have a dwelling place there in my father's house. And then he gave them the great hope of a comforter who was going to come. God the Holy Spirit was going to come after the resurrection of Christ and after the ascension, the Holy Spirit would come and Jesus promised his disciples these things would happen. After this, we see the betrayal by Judas and then he's taken, Jesus is taken and he is put on trial before Pilate. And from there, the hall of Pilate, he walks the, the way of sorrow, the Via Dolorosa, to his crucifixion at a place called Calvary. And on that cross at Calvary, he utters seven phrases that we know, beginning with the first phrase that we talked about a few weeks ago, forgive them, Father, for they know what, not what they do. And ending by saying to God and saying to all humanity, it is finished. And then finally saying, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. So we see this, and then in our first verse this morning, we see the great despair of everyone who was coming to the tomb that day. So let's read these verses together, beginning in verse number 1 in chapter 24. It says this, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went up to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he said to you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered unto the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. All these events have taken place, but then all of a sudden comes the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The greatest moment in all of history happens here during, in these scriptures that we read. I want to tell you, it was great news that morning, and it's even better news this morning. It was great news that these ladies rushed out to go and to tell the disciples who were left and, and, to, and to, ex, to proclaim and exclaim to them, Jesus is not there in the tomb. The angels have told us that he is risen and that he is not dead. What power it took to raise Jesus from the dead. As I was reading these verses and I'm reading about the power there of the resurrection my mind goes back to the question that the Pharisees asked Jesus as he's teaching with an authority that no one's ever heard 
And as he's performing miracles that no one has ever seen, the Pharisees come to him and they say, By what power and what authority do you do these things and say these things? And, and Jesus answers them, but I, I imagine in Jesus' mind, he's thinking, boys, y'all ain't seen power and authority yet. Wait till Easter morning. Wait till Easter morning, and you'll see it. Because Jesus knew the power of the resurrection, and he knew that the power of the resurrection is an almighty power. These ladies are walking to the tomb there where Jesus had been laid, and I can imagine the conversation that they're having as they're going and approaching that tomb. Probably among them, they're saying, there's a great stone there. And all of us together can't move that stone. Who is going to roll the stone away from us? They knew that at the, uh, at the, at the burial of Christ, the, the religious leaders had gone and asked Pilate to put armed guards there at the, at the tomb. They put soldiers there. Maybe they were thinking that when we get there, those soldiers will, will take leave and they'll roll the tomb uh, stone away so that we can go in and anoint Jesus' body. They're, 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 they're worried about how they're going to get in there. But they get there, and they see that the stone has been rolled away. Angels have come already, and the stone has been rolled away, and they're probably amazed by this. But then they look, and they see that the body of Christ is gone, and they realize that something even greater has happened. There's great power that has happened there in a tomb that morning. We live in an age of great power. In 1969, NASA took a spacecraft with three men in it, and they took it to the moon, and then they brought that spacecraft back. Some of y'all probably still don't believe that. think it was filmed in Arizona somewhere. You're those flat earther people also. But here's, here's the amazing thing about that. NASA had to be about 10 years ahead in their scientific and, and, and uh, engineering capacity. They had to get about 10 years ahead of where they should have been at that time to be able to have the computers that had the power to take a spacecraft to the moon and then bring that spacecraft back. And if you've ever seen the pictures of the command center there, there's these big walls of banks of mainframe computers. As I say mainframe computers, some of our, our younger people don't even know what that is. But in those, those computers were powerful enough to perform all of the scientific and engineering feats that had to be done to get that spacecraft there and back. Now fast forward 50 years to this morning, April 21st, 2019, and most of the people sitting in this room have carried around with you more power in your pocket here than were in those computers that took the spacecraft to the moon and back. That's how far we have advanced in technology. This phone here that I really don't know how to use, my children tell me I need one of those flip phones. But this smartphone has the, the capabilities that those large computers had. We live in a time of great power. Think about how travel has changed over the last hundred years. Our grandparents or your grandparents maybe had an old Model A or Model T that they had to go out and take a crank to the front of it and crank it and then get in. And now Tesla and Google are working on 
cars that have nobody in them. They're driverless cars. I, I've yet to understand the concept. The car has no driver. I, I don't know where it's going, but it doesn't have anybody in it. I don't know what the purpose is. But we're working on technology that allows us to go that advanced. A hundred years ago, the Wright brothers took an, uh, an old airplane, the, the first airplane ever, and they flew it maybe from this, from this pulpit, maybe to the distance of the gazebo downtown, and it was the greatest feat that had ever happened in the world. Today, some of you can go to Atlanta and get on an airplane and fly all the way to Seattle or San Francisco or New York and, and never have to get off and have a connecting flight. That's how far along we have come. Think about the power of knowledge that has been accomplished in some of your lifetimes, the medical breakthroughs that have happened. No longer do we worry about things like polio and smallpox. They've been eradicated. We live in a time where you can have a heart transplant even. I remember Bree and I went to dinner with a man one, and his wife one evening, and we were sitting there, and just out of the blue, he looked at us and said, I have a new heart. And I thought, well, I thought you'd been a Christian for a long time. And he said, no, I've had a heart transplant. And I'm still sitting there waiting on the punchline. And he said, no, no, I was one of the first 50 people to ever have a heart transplant. And I thought, wow, I'm sitting here with a medical marble. But you think about how far we've come, the power that we have. In 1919, the average lifespan in America was 52 years. Today, in America, the average lifespan has grown to be 79 years. We've converted from coal and steam to harnessing the destructive force of nuclear power to light our cities. But with all this power and all these things that we see, the resurrection power is still the greatest power that has ever been on this earth. The power that raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the grave is the power to restore life. The power that restored life to the Lord Jesus Christ on that first Easter morning is the power that still restores life to you and I here this morning. I have witnessed great miracles in my life. I have witnessed physical miracles. I have witnessed other miracles that I have seen in my life. But still today, I sat and talked to a church member this week, and we talked about how still the greatest miracle that happens happens around the world every day. It's the power that the Holy Spirit has to come in and to transform a life and to give us new life and to make us born again. It's still the greatest miracle and power that ever happens in this world. They went there to anoint the body of Jesus, but they could not find the body of Jesus. As I, re as I relate that to my life and to the new birth that I have experienced if you're looking if, if someone is looking for my sins this morning those sins are not there anymore god has forgiven me of those sins past present and future and the psalmist wrote one day and said that my sins are as far as the east is from the west that's the power that only comes from god almighty and jesus uh, these these ladies are finding out and the disciples are finding out that the power of the resurrection is also an amazing power. Now think about the two words that are used to describe these ladies, these women who go into this tomb and find it empty. Think about the words that are used. They're called perplexed 
and they're also called afraid. Now, these are natural human emotions. They walk into a tomb expecting to find Jesus, and they find two men who are sitting there. The, the Bible describes them as being in dazzling apparel. They're angels that are sitting there waiting on these ladies to get there. They're, they're perplexed. They see this, and they're confused. They were expecting to see Jesus, and they see these two angels. And all of these things just really take over them and their emotions. And then it describes them as they come into the presence of these angels. They're afraid. They see these heavenly beings, and they are afraid of what is going on here. You know what? The resurrection has the power to calm all the fears that I have in this life. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has the power to calm my emotions and to calm my fears and to calm my worries and to take me and to make, give me a peace that passes all understanding. But more than that, because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, my soul could be saved. And I could know the forgiveness and the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, there is no hope apart from the resurrection. The Apostle Paul, in speaking to the church at Corinth, said to, this, to them in 1 Corinthians, he said, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, if he is not a risen Savior, then everything that we're doing here this morning is in vain. We may as well be at home having an Easter egg hunt all day long and not celebrating the risen Savior. But because we have the evidence of the Scripture and the evidence of over 500 people who saw Jesus physically after his resurrection, we know that this morning that what we do is not in vain, but what we do is we come here this morning to worship him and to praise him and to adore him because he is the only one who had this power. Look at the power of Jesus here. We see, first of all, we see his power to save. We see his life. Jesus had the, per the perfection needed to save our souls. You see, God has a standard. And God's standard is perfection. And God is the only one who can meet that, that standard. He knew that he created a human race that could never attain that perfection and that standard that he had. But even before he created the heavens and the earth and he created Adam and Eve, he had a plan to bring us into his perfection. He had a plan to send God the Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to live a sinless, perfect life and to be our perfection for us. And he did this through his death. He was the payment that we needed to save ourselves. We call it the atonement. He took my debt and he atoned for it and he settled it. We use a word called redeemed. I'm redeemed. When I was a kid, we sang out of the old hymnal, I have been, and then the men would go real, I have been. I'm not going to sing the whole song. That's your Easter blessing is that I'm not going to sing the whole song. But they would sing, I have been redeemed. Now, I think about that sometimes. The word redeemed means exchanged. 
when I was a kid, um, it was before it was real easy for uh, Coca-Cola to put uh, their drinks, their soft drinks into aluminum cans. They still use old tin cans back then. That's how old I am. So they still manufactured most of the Cokes that we got were in glass bottles. Some of y'all are old enough to remember that. And I can remember when I was a boy, you could go around and pick up those Coca-Cola bottles that people threw out. And when I was real young, you got three cents a piece for them. And then when I got a little bit older, I got rich because they'd give you five cents for them. You could get all those bottles, and I'd get as many as I could, and I would go into the Jitney Jungle or Liveleys, and I would bring those bottles back, and I'd get five cents for every bottle that I would get. I've made as much as a dollar bringing back Coca-Cola bottles that other people didn't want. And I was rich. I thought I was, I was I, and what they would do, I would bring that old dirty bottle back, and they would put it in cases, and then the Coke man would come, and he would get those cases of empty bottles, and they would take them back to one of their uh, distributing places where they bottled the Coca-Cola, and they would put them into a, a place where they would take, and they would steam those bottles, and they would wash those bottles, and they would purify those bottles again. And when that old dirty Coke bottle, it came through, and it went through that process, guess what? When it came out on the other side, it was pure. And you know what they did with it then? They filled it with Coca-Cola again. And it was good again. You know what? One day God took this old dirty, filthy life. God took this old dirty, filthy soul. And he took it. And he took it. And as only as he can, as only he had the power to do, he took it. And I asked for forgiveness of my sins. And he immediately forgave me of those sins. And he took me and he cleaned me. And he purified me. And somewhere in that process, he filled me with the Holy Spirit. And I got out on the other side, and guess what? I was redeemed. I may not be worth a whole lot to anybody here in this life, but when God the Father looks at me, he doesn't look at me. He doesn't see Michael Ingram anymore. He looks at me, and because I have the forgiveness of my sins, he looks and he sees God the Son, Jesus Christ. And he sees the exchange. Jesus took my sins and went to a cross. Jesus took my sins and was hung and bled and died. He took my sins. And, and, and when I handed him my sins, he looked and he handed me his righteousness. He handed that, that's the greatest exchange that you'll ever get. I could have found a million Coca-Cola bottles and took them and exchanged them. It wasn't as good as that. It's the greatest, it's the greatest opportunity and exchange that happens in this world today. And it is only through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we see the power to save. Now these ladies went in to this tomb and they found these two angels sitting there. Now it's significant. It's significant that they found two angels there. If these are Jewish people. And under the Jewish law, for someone, for something to be valid... If you only have one witness, you can't go to court because one witness is not valid. You have to have two witnesses in a Jewish legal system for what you say to be valid. So it's very important as they walk in and these two angels see them coming in, these ladies know that because there are two angels there and they tell them this story, they know that they can take it to the bank. They know that it's valid. And these two angels say these words to them 
that still ring in our ears today when they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? In other words, the angels are saying to them, don't you remember what Jesus said to you while he was with you in Galilee? He told you, I have to go and be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and they're going to kill me, but on the third day, I will rise again. Jesus was physically raised from the grave. We are all spiritually dead. According to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul writes to to this church and says, You were dead in trespasses and sins. I've been born two times. On March 20th, 1966, at Lackland Air Force Base, San Antonio, Texas, I was physically born into this world. I was born into and placed in my mother's arms, and I, was, I took my first breath of physical life. But guess what I was? Even as a cute little cuddly baby, I was spiritually dead. Even as I was born into a world, and I was born into a sinful world, and because of the sin of Adam, I was placed into a world where there was a curse of sin on all of us. And it was not that day when I was born. They didn't record my birth in heaven that day. They didn't write down Michael Ingram, I don't know, Six pounds, eight ounces, whatever I was, 18 inches long or, or however. They didn't write all that down on a board in heaven and celebrate it. But here's what happened. There was a day when the Holy Spirit came and, and, and spoke to my life and spoke into my heart and pointed me to Jesus and said, Jesus is the absolute only way for you to be forgiven of your sins. Jesus Christ is the only one who can deliver you from this burden of sin that you have. And on that day, I asked for forgiveness of my sins, and I asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life, and I promised him that I would follow him for the rest of my life. And on that day, somewhere in heaven, in the Lamb's Book of Life, they wrote down Michael Ingram, and they wrote the date. And guess what? No one can blot that name out. It's there. That's the day that they wrote my name down in heaven, is the day that I was spiritually born again. Everyone who comes to Christ can be made alive. It is a whosoever gospel. John 3.16 John 3.16 said, For whosoever will. No one, let me tell you, nobody, there's no one alive who's too difficult for Jesus. When, when a, when all across the world this morning, as people are standing and preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, There are people sitting on pews, and they're thinking in their mind, well, preacher, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. If you know everything there was to know about me, if you knew everything that God knows about me, you'd all get up and walk out right now. If I knew everything that God knows about you, I'd hit that back door running. But guess what? He's forgiven us. We have forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, I can tell you this morning, there is no one here who's too difficult for God to save. Hebrews 7.25 says this, that he is able to save to the uttermost. 
He can save you no matter what your sin, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter how you lived. Jesus Christ can save you to the uttermost. And I encourage you this morning to come to Christ in faith and find the life that he has for you because this power of the resurrection is available to everyone. Power is worthless unless it's made available to us. We have so many options this, today in our world. We can, we can be powered by coal. We can be powered by wind. We can find nuclear or electrical power. Whatever it is that converts it into what needs to run our homes, we can find that somewhere in the world today. But guess what? I can build the nicest home in Calhoun County, and I can move into that home, and if I don't run the wires from that source into my house, then I, I sit there and I'm in the dark. And I have no way to preserve my food. I have no way to, to do any of the things that we do now. I have to be connected to the power source. That power of the resurrection is available to us this morning. The power of the resurrection, what raised Jesus from the dead, is available to every one of us who's here this morning. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, let me encourage you. If you are tempted, if you're being tempted by sin, let me tell you this. You have resurrection power to combat that temptation and to not give in to that sin. Jesus was tempted in every single way that you have ever been tempted, and he knows and understands those temptations, and he has the power available to you through the Holy Spirit that lives in you to overcome that temptation. Do you feel like you've been uh, hurt or betrayed? Jesus was hurt and betrayed. Judas betrayed Jesus, and the religious leaders who were there hurt Jesus, betrayed him. At one point in time, the Bible tells us that Jesus had 5,000 people with him listening to his teaching that he fed with loaves and fishes. When Jesus ascended into heaven, that 5,000 people had dwindled down to a number of 120 people. Thousands of people had turned their backs in, on Jesus and betrayed him. But the power that he had to be resurrected is available to you to overcome those hurts and to overcome those betrayals. Do you feel defeated? These disciples felt defeated. They felt defeated. The Bible makes it clear here in Luke's gospel here, Luke makes it clear to make the point that it was Simon Peter who rose up and who ran to the tomb and who looked into the tomb to make sure that this story was true. Because no one felt more defeated than Peter. Because he had denied Jesus three times after declaring that he would go with Jesus and fight for Jesus and that no one would be able to take Jesus' life, Peter had denied Jesus three times on that very night. But Peter wasn't defeated anymore because he saw the power of the resurrection. And just a short while later, Peter would preach what is maybe 
the most powerful sermon that has ever been preached after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ when that number of 120 grew one day to be 3,120 on the day of Pentecost. Don't feel defeated. Grab hold of the power that is available to you through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say this to you. If you're here this morning and you know that you're not a follower of Jesus, you know that what these people did this morning in going through the waters of baptism and declaring that they had been forgiven of their sins and that because of that they were following Jesus and declaring to everyone here that they were going to follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know that, and I want to tell you that that is available to you also. I'll tell you my Easter story. My Easter story was always this. I came to a certain age where I didn't go to church anymore. I didn't, I didn't want to go to church because I knew my life and I knew the, the sinful nature of my life and I knew that if I went to church that I was going to be confronted with that and I was going to have to make a decision about it. And so I just stopped going to church. I avoided it with all costs. But Easter would come along. And my mother normally would buy a new pair of pants and a new shirt or something, and, and it was a subtle hint that you're going to go to church Easter, more, Easter Sunday morning. And so I would get up, and I would, I would do that, and I would put those clothes on, and I would go to hear an Easter Sunday morning service and to hear a sermon. And Easter after Easter after Easter, I would stand, and someone would give an invitation, and my sins would be revealed to me by the Holy Spirit, and I would be convicted of those sins, and I would grab hold of a pew, and I would squeeze that pew as hard as I could. And I would, I would stand there and I would think, how, how long is this going to last? When am I going to be able to leave? When can I leave here and not be confronted with the sins of my life? And let me tell you, it's only because of the prayers of people who knew me, people who my parents had praying for me, that God was merciful enough to me to allow me one evening to say, God, I can't do this anymore. I didn't have to be at church to be confronted with my sins because God came into the room where I was and confronted me there and showed me and, and let me know that I had an opportunity there and I had a choice I had to make. And on that evening, I decided that it was, it was not too late for me to follow Jesus. And it was not too late for me to come to a place where I could know forgiveness of my sins. And I had not sinned too much, and I had not sinned too great to come to a place where I could know complete forgiveness from the Lord Jesus Christ for every sin that I had ever committed. You see, when I would stand there and I would hold on to that pew, there'd be this voice. There'd be this voice of, that would say to me, you don't have to do this today. You'll live to be an old man. You, you've got plenty of time. You can do this some other time. You can do this later. Or there'd be this voice that would say to me, you can't live that life. There's no way that you can live that life that those preachers are talking about. You can't live for Jesus. 
you know, what I didn't understand then and, and what I wish I had known then was it wasn't about me. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about my works or how, or how good I could be. It was completely about what Jesus had done for me on the cross at Calvary. It was completely about what his being resurrected from the dead. It was completely about what Jesus had done and not what I had the power to do because the resurrection of Jesus gave me the power through the Holy Spirit to live the way that I should live and to desire to live that way. So as we go into this time of worship and as we go into this time of reflection and we go into this time of invitation, I want you to know that every excuse that the devil is about to give you this morning is a lie. Jesus said this about the devil. He said he is a liar. And not only is he a liar, he is the father of all liars. And if you're here this morning you don't know Christ, and you don't know the power of the resurrection, you don't know forgiveness of your sins, you're about to be lied to during this invitation. Don't buy that lie. Let go and allow Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Let go and know the forgiveness. Because I can tell you, on that evening, when I gave my life to Christ, when I surrendered and I asked for forgiveness of my sins, it was the first time that I could remember in years that I could lie down and put my head on a pillow and not feel guilt and shame about what I had done that day or what I had done that weekend or who I had wronged or what had happened. I went to bed for the first time understanding peace that surpasses all understanding. And I'm going to tell you something. I would not trade it for anything in this world. Is the peace that you can have in your heart for knowing Jesus. I have not been perfect since that evening. I have not been, I, I won't be perfect today. I wasn't perfect yesterday. I wasn't perfect this past week. But in God's sight, God sees the forgiveness that Jesus gave to me. And that is what holds me in his hand. Darren's coming this morning to leave us in a lead us in a time of worship, a time of praise, a time of reflection, but most importantly, a time where you can decide. What will you do with Jesus? Before Jesus went to the cross, Pilate asked the crowd there, what will you have me do with this man Jesus? And the crowd shouted out, crucify him, crucify him. And they took him from there, and he was crucified. This morning what I realized is every time I stood in that pew and I grasped hold of that pew, and I refused to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, what I was really saying in my heart was crucify him. Crucify him. Take him away from me and crucify him. This morning, I'm glad that one day I, I let go. And I said, give me Jesus. This morning, if you're here and you need to do that, there's no greater time. Where you're standing in a pew here in just a moment, to say to God, God, I need forgiveness of my sins. And I know that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life, went to a cross for me, died for me, and three days later was resurrected for me. God, I want to accept that today. I want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life and know what it is to have forgiveness of sins. Right where you are this morning, you can do that very thing. Would you stand?
Father, I pray this morning all across this sanctuary, Lord, if there are those who need to know Christ as Savior, I pray that you would speak to their hearts through the Holy Spirit and point them to Jesus. If there are people here this morning who need to do what these have done this morning following believers' baptism or to become a member of this church, Father, whatever it is, whatever, maybe people just need to come here and pray and thank you for what you've done or maybe they just need to come and pray for someone. Father, whatever it is we need to do this morning, give us the courage to do so. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.